All right, let's keep us under a minute. What's up? My name's George. I'm one of your pals. <laughs> and I'm your other pal, Ricky Liorti. This week we had Cabby Richards, aka Cabby on the Street, on the Pals Podcast. Uh, for those who watch a score, if you're from Toronto, if you watch BR Betting, you know who Cabby is. He's a fantastic, fantastic TV personality. Uh, just an awesome, all-around awesome guy. He had a lot of opinions on what's going on in the world, uh, shared some insights on the NBA bubble, on sports, uh, you know, on the movements, gave us some good some good Kobe stories and some of his, you know, some of his good best interviews uh, for his time as a, as a TV host. Guys, honestly, truly a fantastic episode. Cabby, thank you. Uh, Rick? Yeah, that was awesome. We'd like to give a special shout out to our sponsors, Kind Magazine. Kind is the fastest growing print and digital magazine in North America from zero to 1.4 million readers in 10 months. Check it out at kindmagazine.ca. They had Russell Peters, Mike Tyson, Miss Universe has the front covers. Um, definitely one of the coolest new magazines out there. Also, they just released their new merch. Looks sick. We've got some. We'll, we'll share it on our social media as well. So check it out. And Georgie, what do we say? LFG. Let's go. Welcome to the Pals Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, this is uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, we're we're finally glad we got to to make it happen. So I guess we'll start off. How's everything down in Vegas? It is um, an interesting time because, as you know, Vegas is a hospitality town, and it was decimated by the coronavirus. It happened right around the March Madness tournament, and those opening four days of the tournament are the biggest weekend in Las Vegas. There was, I think, uh, the estimate the estimated loss was a hundred million dollars in sports revenue, so it was um, catastrophic. But people are, you know, I was just at a, I went to the MGM the other day because I have, I'm doing these like NBA um, um, bet streams, and we use this Bet MGM app. So in order to use the app, I have to go and have to, you know, you got to give them your license, they got to validate it, and then you got to like to open an account. So I went there and there were people walking around, people checking into the hotel. I went on like a Thursday. I was like, wow, this like people are actually here. And even like, I don't know if I would personally, but I felt, but everybody's wearing a mask, which is compulsory and which is great. Um, I haven't met any Karens or Kevins that refuse <laughs> to make, to wear masks. They want to fight people at a Whole Foods or a Target or a Costco. So thank God, because I would just pull out my phone and record them and then just upload it and just embarrass them because those people are the derelicts of earth. But um, it's, Vegas is like slowly coming back. I don't know when they'll fully uh, recover from the uh, economic recession, but it's it's coming back. Well, I mean, like, again, to your point, it lost March Madness. Summer League is usually would have would have just kind of happened. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then obviously the league starting up tourism, let alone tourism. So I guess it's got to be co pretty quiet in comparison to, to the time of year that how it would normally be. It, it was. And then they just built a beautiful new stadium for the Vegas Raiders. It is gorgeous. It's a black sphere with um, uh, like all encased in black uh, glass. It looks beautiful. It looks like no other stadium, even like where the Golden Knights play the T-Mobile Arena, that looks like no other stadium too it's like this really cool wood paneling but it's all um 
it's all curved and it's layered and it's woven. Um, generally, buildings are like red brick or some of them are, are gray. Some of them are like, I don't know, I'm trying to like Staples Center, I guess is, well, that's kind of like gray. But yeah. these two new, I guess the two newest buildings in, in sports, or the Seattle building is being built now, but the two newest ones, oh, no, in L.A., that, uh, where the Raiders, excuse yeah. me, where the Rams and the Chargers are playing in uh, Carson City, um, that's that's brand new, but it's it's beautiful. So so my point is, uh, <laughs> they were expecting you know sixty thousand people there, you know every other Sunday or whatever. One one preseason game, eight uh, regular season games. So that uh, that's not not no longer going to be the the case in uh, twenty twenty. Yeah, do you know what? I just saw that they sent all their season ticket holders. I guess their season sick. Tickets. And the presentation, I was just like, okay, it was we're, beautiful. We're both, we're both Leafs and Raptors season ticket holders. I'm like, man, MLSE stepping up a bit here. Like, yeah, it was it was tremendous. So for people who haven't seen it, it was like a, it, it's in the shape of the stadium. You open a flap and then you open the cover, and then there's like a another cover that like retracts, and then you see the field with the Raiders logo on it, and it was it's beautiful. I don't. It must cost like I don't know, two or three hundred bucks per one of those cases, and you know I imagine they have anywhere from twenty to thirty to forty thousand season seat season seat holders. So that was a, uh, they spent a pretty penny on that. Well, I mean, it's Vegas, right? Showmanship out there is kind of uh, the name of the game. Even with the Golden Knights, I've actually been to a game and like, I've never seen an introduction or like kind of where they kick off games like that ever of all the sporting events I've been to. It's the best one. It's the best one in hockey for sure. They're on game or their uh, game day on ice presentation is second to none. Yeah. Like that first six to seven minutes with like the the night and then like it's and then the guy on the drums and it's really dope i agree with you i'm interested to see what if the raiders will kind of take some of that as well and put some kind of pre like you know there hasn't been much about that i'm guessing they're going to do something but it'd be interesting to see what they how they kind of go about it that's a good question and i imagine it's probably dialed back because the performers may not be able to rehearse and you know i would imagine if this was in a like I don't know our old normal in 2019, it would be a full Cirque du Soleil, yeah. dudes on like uh, uh, zip lines and then some fireworks and then twirling, you know, dudes on a trapeze and then there's a random elephant Come and then there's like some swashbucklers. Up. What's that? I'm got parachuting in through the top like yes. Like, Think about it. Like imagine how nuts it would be. You got Raiders versus Chiefs at home Sunday night prime time. Mahomes in town. You have that. There's no bigger like new stadium, new team. No, no would, bigger stage than that, right? It would be tremendous, and I imagine that the players would beg their general manager to let them spend the night, especially after like the, the Chiefs. But generally, the players have to leave right after the game. But I'm sure the Chiefs were like, "Let's can we please just stay?" And, and like, if they were heading into a bye week, GM might be like, "All right, you guys get one Here's night." It. Well, well, on the point of NFL, um, what are your thoughts? Do you think the season's going to happen? I mean, like having 50 guys aside, 50 something plus coaches, I know they're saying they want to play, right? But like what, any idea, like what the likelihood of that happening is? Because it seems in the circumstances that we're in, it'd be one of the toughest sports to manage with all the people that are on the field and all that. That's a good point. I I think uh, each team is, is, has applied a bunch of precautions, a bunch of uh, health measures, I think the season will start. I guess the question is, will the season end based on how many 
positive tests are, are, are going to come back um, for COVID-19. But the, the NFL is such a monstrous business that there's no way those 32 owners are going to be like, we're, we're, we're not going to leave this TV money on the table. Like it's the TV contract, I think it's $4 billion a year. I, don't, don't quote me on that. But <laughs> with, the, with the network, CBS, Fox, ESPN pays $1.1 billion a year for one game a week. Yeah. Monday Night Football, that's it, bro. <laughs> And it's 17 days, so there's so it is it is obviously the biggest sport in North America, probably number two to the Premiership in uh, as far as global sports. Um, but uh, I, I think it's going to start. Uh, I hope it ends, and it, I guess it's up to each team to manage how many positive cases can they manage at one time. We're seeing it in baseball, and those guys didn't really respect um, the precautions because dudes were in the hotel. Lobby bar, mixing it up with the guests whenever we're on, when they're on the road, and then all of a sudden, like full weekend series were canceled because 18 Marlins got the coronavirus, or the Mets had a had a uh, a few guys get test positive. I think the Braves as well. So, I mean, football. I mean, we saw that one cornerback, uh, one guy on the defense try to like sneak sneak oh, a ting yeah. in. You know where? I mean, yo, I, I, yo, I give him, I give him props. For the effort, the execution, you know, obviously didn't work out. But um, but it, honestly, if you think about it, they expect these guys to go. Uh, you know, like you got guys who are 24 to 26 in the prime of their careers, testosterone, testosterone, like raging, <laughs> and you expect them not to try and sneak some girls in. Like that's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, that they they uh, they should manage those expectations. But listen, if it was. I don't know if it was um, Bobby Wagner, let's say the the captain of the defense. He's not getting cut. No, I don't want to say Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson has a beautiful wife, Sierra. They just had a baby. Like, but if it's and, and, and Bobby Wagner might have a wife too and some some uh, kids as well. I don't I don't know, but I'm just saying like if it was one of the star players, that guy's that player is not getting cut. So yeah. if you're more valuable to your team, maybe you get a little bit more uh, wiggle room for those kind of late night wiggles. Yeah. That's what's funny. Like, the guy's a rookie. And, like, I mean, again, maybe he doesn't know better, but, like, you're risking your career yeah. just, like, for what, one night? Like, I mean, it's, maybe it's your girlfriend, you want your desperate. Maybe that's one thing, but it's a lot of sacrifice. Like, you know, you live your whole life to make it to the show and you try to sneak a girl in, in undercover. And, I mean, it's a great story, great content, but, like, you got to think a little more than that. He didn't, he, I'm sure he didn't consider the consequence. Like, are they going to cut me for this? No, I'll probably get a fine. Maybe yeah. I got a Pension. maybe I got to miss a game, but fully cut. Like he, I'm, there's no way he thought that was going to be the repercussion for that action. Well, speaking about that, what about Lou Will putting it all on the line at uh, in the bubble, trying to about to risk it all for some uh, lemon pepper chicken wings? <laughs> Apparently, there was um, a death of a, a like a family friend or a close friend, and that's why he went to Atlanta, and then ended up at. No, it wasn't House of Diamonds. Was uh, where was it? Magic City. Magic City, yeah, yeah. Magic City, and then Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow's like, "What's popping? Let's get a let's get a little <laughs> selfie." And then that's, and then he's the reason that Lou Will gets busted because Lou Will is wearing the NBA issued face mask <laughs> at Magic City, and then people are like, "Yo, this isn't a picture from." Three weeks ago, this is from right. You guys just got there two weeks ago. Like, there's no way you would have got that, you know, that mask before you entered the bubble. So yeah, he got he got he got burnt. Yeah. Well, 
No, no, I was gonna say, I feel like that's a typical, I don't know Lou personally, but I feel like if I did, that's something he would do. Like, well, I think he he either grew up in Atlanta or played in Atlanta for many years, so I'm sure he has a lot of friends there. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Yeah, he's from Gwinnett. He's from Gwinnett, Gwinnett, because uh, uh, Drake says, uh, something, something, Lou Will, he says, like, from Gwinnett, right in the beginning of that, of uh, that six-man verse, so, yeah, he's from that area. Well, not surprising, even when Lou was in Toronto, I mean, you would see him, like, you just walked out downtown after a game or any weeknight, and he was, that's the one guy you always saw out and about in the city. You know, I never saw Lou Will. I, I wish I did. You know, I and I respected his gangster having a girlfriend who had a girlfriend. Like that was just <laughs> he's a legend for that for the rest of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, he's, he's only only six man that pulls up from the logo. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Well, uh, yeah. Since we're on the topic of NBA, to kind of to kind of jump into that, I mean. What are your thoughts on how things have been going on the and bu- on in the bubble right now? Like you know, obviously, it's uh, it's an interesting time because you know they've had great success with what's happening in terms of like the playing, keeping players safe, healthy, all the personnel. But obviously, there's a lot going on in the world right now that is might might impact that. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on what's been going on from, a, from the bubble perspective and then from the other side as well? My perspective on the boycott is that it was necessary. Like there, if we look at the over the course of time. It feels like the people in power, the only thing they really respond to is when the money is affected. There are for decades and centuries, people that look like me that live in America have been peacefully protested. They've marched, they've they've tried to protest in the music, whether it's hip hop or R&B or jazz. They've had sit-ins at restaurants. They've had bus boycotts like in Montgomery, Alabama. They've walked over bridges like all these things and then people question like uh this isn't the right time to protest well when is the right time and like what is the correct that right way to protest because all these peaceful things don't seem to have any substantial change so i i applaud the players for i think it's more of a strike than a boycott but i applaud the players for uh for that courageous stand, because ultimately they have a lot to lose as well. Because you know, lost TV revenue affects the collective bargaining agreement, which affects how much the players get paid next year. And there are a ton of guys on um, on on contract deals. But this is bigger than basketball. And with the murder of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, you juxtapose that a guy who is breaks up a fight, he's got kids in the car, trying to get out of there or whatever. Who who knows what he was trying to do, but goes back, you know, listen, I know there's been reports that there was a knife in the car. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Everybody knows that. And what are you going to do? You're going to take on two cops with a knife? Like be real. Like that's not going to end well for you. And it didn't end well for him as you just trying to get in the car. So juxtapose that with Kyle Rittenhouse, the kid from Antioch, Illinois, who crosses state lines from Illinois to Wisconsin. He's carrying an AR-15, like it's Call of Duty in real life. And he's running around the streets and he passes officers who don't stop him. Like, what is this person doing with an AR-15? So people who look like me see that and they see the injustice in just that, like how this kid, and then the kid murders two people and he shoots a third when people 
you know, try to try to jump him because he's running around. He already shot a couple people, I think, trying to protect a gas station as though it's it was it's his civic duty to protect a gas station. So, man, it's and I listen, I applaud uh, guys in the MLB, definitely applaud the entire WNBA. Um, and we'll see what the the protests or uh, or what the yeah the protests will be like in the NFL, which is which is going to start in a matter of days. Disappointed with hockey, but you know I I applaud the players uh, today. I don't know when this is going to be posted, but you know there it felt like about a hundred players were in that press conference. Ryan Reeves, Nazem Kadri, etc., and a bunch of their their colleagues in the bubble in Edmonton were speaking like it's important that this moment be recognized as as a turning point and they're trying to continue the conversation and also trying to force people in power, people that wield political power and people that have financial power to get in those state legislature buildings, get in meetings with the mayors and say, Hey, we need structural changes. Like there needs to be a change between the mayoral department, the mayor's office and police departments. There needs to be accountability when people are murdered or severely injured. Listen, th- these protests aren't going to solve racism. As you, when you get on Twitter, you, the bots come out and you, and like also just random people go, oh, like this is going to be the solution. No one's saying this is the solution, but it's to call attention to a problem and the problem needs fixing. It's going to take many years because governments move very slowly. I mean, it's not like you go to In-N-Out Burger and you get a, a meal very quickly in a matter of minutes. Like that's not how it works in in the government. So uh, again, I always I I always stand with the players because as a person who is an employee, I always stand with labor, and I never quite understand when when fans are upset at players when they strike or when they get locked out. They're greedy. Like unless you're a business owner, how do you side with management versus labor? Because most of us are labor. So, but uh, anyway, that's that's part of a bigger issue. But those are my those are my thoughts on the boycott, the strike. I'm happy that, and I'm sorry this is such a long answer. No, I'm no, happy it's, that it's, it's such a big topic and important topic. And today, like especially right now, and we're going to be releasing this tonight because we want to do this right now, and we want yeah. to obviously talk about it. And the biggest question that a lot of people say is like, well, what's boycotting or what's striking going to do? It's going to do exactly this get people talking about it, get people educated on the topic and get the conversation going. Because at least from what I've read, a lot of people feel that, okay, the media is not covering it anymore. People are still protesting all over North America, but the media is not covering it anymore. Okay. Get it back on the forefront, get the media talking about it. And that's exactly, again, we're not anybody special, but if we get our thousands of couple thousands of listeners listening to this, talking about it, educating people, that's what it's about. Right. Right. And there is also strength in numbers. So when people take to the street and peacefully protest, they make their signs. It's showing the people in power like, oh, we have a problem and we need to address it because we have our constituents, these 7000 people that are walking down the main boulevards of our town. Like we need to address this because these people are upset and they want change. And that has to happen. You know, I am. I'm glad that the NBA players have decided to resume the season because I, I really believe that the NBA platform is global and there's strength in numbers. And with a unified message and a unified voice, that message can carry greater than 
one or two stars in their local markets. What I would love to see is these guys are forming their strategy and strategy is so important when you're trying to elicit change or in any company or any endeavor, like what is our strategy? That's like business one-on-one. I would love it if, you know, the, like the main stars in MLB or NBA or, or the NFL say to their board of governors or say to the owners of those franchises, you guys have so much political power. And so we need you as we are partners, we need you to go speak to that state senator. We need you to go talk to that mayor because these are the things we want changed. And we want you, we want you to do it because these guys, these people, and they're generally men, these men are billionaires. So if Mark Cuban or Mickey Arison in, in Miami calls the state senator or calls the mayor, that person's picking up the phone call. Well, and that yeah. person is going, if they, I want a meeting with you in the next 48 hours, that person's going to make it happen because those business owners are huge pillars in their communities. And it's in NHL as well. You know, uh, uh, those ownership groups wield a lot of power too. So I would love it if that was the next step. The players pushing their ownership groups or their board of governors to say, we want you to represent us because if you really care about us and the product that we deliver, then you'll do this for us. I would love to like that to be the next wave or that part of the strategy that's then implemented. These owners are back, they're outside of the bubble. So they have time as they're watching, you know, they're either watching the ratings or watching their players play or whatever, but they have time. So that's what I would love to see. I mean, the other thing too, that's kind of interesting, like. Like any company, like anything, right? You, you made a point about the labor and like to build a culture in any corporation, any company, like you want your, your employees to be happy. And I mean, you know, you see that, especially with the NBA, how far it's come in the last, let's say decade or two. Like it went from like an obscure league that merged two leagues to a 20, or maybe like 50, 60, 70 years ago to now probably close to being one of the biggest, if not one of the biggest global sports brands in the world. I mean, you would think that people who make a lot of money and profit off this, the owners would say, these, the talent keeps growing. They keep bringing the social media presence. They're the ones bringing the fans. The billionaires aren't bringing, putting fans in the seats. The guys like LeBron and Kawhi and Luka Doncic put the butts in the seats. You think that it's just something very small. Keep your employees as you will, the talent happy, and you will continue to thrive. If anything, too, the NBA can gain traction because they do a great job of uniting communities and they have that, like, that really interpersonal feel with the players and the fans. So, I mean... They could not only, I mean, as an owner, you would think I can even take more, you know, if you want to think the business side, more fans to my thing and show that I'm, you know, I believe in this cause. And it's something so small that you can do would have such a lasting impact for the future growth of the league as well. I, to I totally agree. And it's, um, and they're, they're partners. I mean, Adam Silver, I think is the best commissioner in sports and he really views the players as their, as his partners. And it's the most progressive league. We see the most with female assistant coaches, the most female executives. Unfortunately, there isn't a female owner yet or a general manager or a coach, head coach, but that is coming yep. because the NBA, um, it, it diversity is its strength. Diversity is a competitive advantage. I heard that said by Shelby Weaver, who works for uh, MLSE. Uh, she said that in an interview recently with Donovan Bennett at Sportsnet, and that is Masai's way of thinking. When when Masai first uh, joined MLSC, there was one female executive. Now there are 13. Uh, he's been there for six or seven years, but that's just, that is part of the culture change. And as you mentioned in the NBA or in any company, 
corporate culture is very important. And if the corporate culture is one that is it is um, inclusive, and and it uh, and the culture believes in promoting voices of people of color or or uh, very like genders or whatever, then that then the players will feel no ways about about striking or using their voices if they've given the power to use their voices. specifically in in the nba did you know what even talking about i think about the nba is the first major sports to allow players to have slogans on their jerseys right you know you the raptors they just appointed someone uh, in charge of uh, i guess uh, diversity or social yeah, i believe his name is uh john davis i think I, I i could i could have that wrong but uh yeah it was within the last month or two yeah this doesn't happen without all the protests in the background without the players speaking up without people trying to make a change or else it's you know, it would just be, and I hate to say it, it's like rich white men running the league, right? So it's the players that are, are the ones that are making this change, and then it kind of goes all the way up from there. So it's good to see that people are are, are doing things, things are, are being covered. It sucks as a sports fan when a, a season gets put on hold or a season gets canceled, but I feel like just the way the, the whole year has been, first with COVID and now a lot of these social issues that, you know, it, it's... And at the end of the day, if sports get canceled, they get canceled because there's bigger things to worry about in the world. You know what? I I, I honestly believe this. Maybe 2020 is going to be the best year. I know we, you know, at the beginning of the year, we almost had like World War Three with Iran, and then you know Kobe leaves us. Just gonna say and that. And then you know we obviously have this. Uh, we have the coronavirus pandemic. We're in this time where there's like racial, like the pandemic of racism. But like maybe these are the catastrophic events that in two or three or four years when the, the seeds are, you know, are planted now, maybe in four years from now, it's like, whoa, like we have more vaccines and we have, you know, that we have police accountability and, and there are, you know, maybe there's the first female owner of a baseball team. Actually, no, there was March shot, excuse me, in with the Cincinnati Reds in the late 90s. But maybe there are are female head coaches in the NBA or there's um, there's a female head coach in the NFL. Like, even though 2020 has been, for all intents and purposes, an absolute shit show, maybe it's going to be the best year because of what what changes will, will occur in, you know, in the future. Yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy year. And obviously right now, I mean, things do seem like bleak with what's going on. I mean, you turn the news on and it's something bad every day. You open Twitter and it's just all like the world is ending and all these bad yeah. things. Uh, but to your point, like maybe sometimes things need to get broken down to the bottom to get rebuilt the right way. And I mean, it's easy for someone, you know, sitting like my position to say that. But honestly, like it, it'll be hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I and mean, we won't really know for a couple of years what comes out of this. But again, maybe it was needed because one other thing that I saw recently, which was kind of interesting, I think yesterday I think the, the 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 boycott in the games was like four years to the day of calling yes. cats taking yeah, yeah. You see, like that's what's interesting is like it's anything, right? Like, yeah, and like the interesting thing with like any honestly anything in life, they say like you know making small changes compounds and gets bigger, right? But it's it's a shame that they couldn't have just seen that for what it was and, and slowly made small tiny changes. You don't have to boil the ocean, make tiny changes, and four years now it would have been farther ahead. And now it's a shame that nobody respected what he was doing. Not nobody, but the people that were in power didn't respect it. They thought it was 
he was a slap, you know, a slap in the face to the, to the flag, which it was not evident. And now it's a shame it took four years to realize. But had they listened to the guy who was being peaceful, just standing up for something he believed in, risked his career, risked everything to do that all. Now we got to go to the point where, like, it, again, it seems like everything's in turmoil and everything's bad to start opening everyone's eyes. I mean, maybe people now will see that. Maybe that's what good comes out of this. Maybe after this is done, we'll say, you know, when someone speaks up and says something that they're calling for change, maybe it's because they feel something and we should listen. You know, and and to your point, um, Colin Kaepernick, sorry, Colin Kaepernick was on the right side of history. And we're in this moment now. And these NBA players, baseball players, guys who are using their platforms, using their voices to call out injustices, they're on the right side of history. And unfortunately for Colin Kaepernick, who literally gave up his career because he he recognized this thing was bigger than him and he was trying to call attention to what we're seeing on cell phone video, it seems like every week. And that's been happening for decades. But uh, I think I, I think I read Will Smith say this. He said, racism isn't growing, it's just being recorded. It's just, it's just being caught on video. And now, you know, people are, are starting to see like, Oh, there's video evidence. So it's like, it's undeniable that there are two Americas. And, um, you know, I feel so bad for Colin Kaepernick who had his entire narrative co-opted for them. Oh, it's about disrespecting the flag, but like, no, Nate Boyer was the, was the Marine, uh, not Marine. I think he was a green beret. Anyway, he was, he, he was, yeah, uh, what was it? What did he, who did he work with? Oh, but he was, he was in the army. Yeah. He was in the armed forces and he said, no, it's, it's more respectful to Neil. And here we are now. We got we had NBA players kneeling before games. We had four guys in the NHL. You know, Sagan, Bennington, Ryan Reeves, and I can't remember the uh, Ryan Reeves. Uh, uh, not Bennington. Excuse me. Um, I can't remember their their teammates. Anyway, those guys were kneeling. You know, we saw 10, 12 Jays. I mean, it's so now there's the it's it's a safe space for guys to to peacefully protest. When Kaepernick was him, Eric Reed. I think Malcolm Butler, uh, there were a handful of guys in the NFL that um, that knelt, and I don't think any of them are, I don't think Eric Reed has a job right now. I mean, he was the last last player. He was playing for the Carolina Panthers last year. He was the last one to kneel, and, and he's uh, no longer in the league. It's just a shame, because like, no one, with, pe- with true peaceful protest, like, that wasn't but as peaceful you get taken, and you're, like, you're not hurting anybody. Like, literally nobody, and I mean, to get to now, like, you know, for the last how many months, a couple months now, you like, there's riots and, you know, stores are getting vandalized and looted and people are getting killed in the street. Like, just be, again, we, you could have just say that he's kneeling. What, like, what is he doing? I don't understand. He's not hurting anybody. And now this is what it's come to to kind of bring awareness to it. It's a shame that that's where it's gone. But. And one thing even, I, I watched a video about this maybe two, three months ago, and it was just Colin Kaepernick talking with old, like, our retired vets. And just talking about how what he's doing, they all respected it. It's not like they were hating on him and against him. And you have these people in power that are calling it disrespectful. And then there's so many people in the States that think it's disrespectful just because people in power say it's disrespectful. But it's like, have the conversation, listen to what he's saying in his press conferences, listen to what the point he's trying to make. And you'll see that it wasn't disrespectful. It wasn't meant to piss on vets or disrespect the country. No, it's, it was it meant change. It meant that what is happening isn't good. It's not right. It, there needs to be change. And it's, it's a shame that it cost him his career because he was 
an energy. He was the Mahomes of yeah. four years ago, right? You know, like a fast gunslinger. Yeah, he was. He was a very. I mean, he was one catch away from winning the Super Bowl in 2012 against the Ravens in in New Orleans. Like he was, he had a one of his greatest performances. He just mercilessly destroyed the Green Bay Packers. I think on their field in the a NFC Championship game, he was an incredible talent. And then, you know, people are like, you know, they they sometimes there's an imperfect messenger. But the message is the right one. And for Nick, people are like, oh, he sucks now. He's just doing it for attention. We saw that with hockey with Akeem Aliou. You know, people are like, he's not the right messenger. But he was saying like, hey, this is my experience. And this is what I went through. And then people like to co-opt the narrative and say he's just doing it for attention. Well, when is the right time to talk about these things? When is the right time to, to discuss someone's personal history or personal experience? And it comes down to empathy. It's like... Will you will you listen to some? Will you try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and then understand their perspective and then try to have some compassion? Like, oh, I didn't realize it was that bad for you, or I didn't realize. And then that's when that's when human change could happen. You know, you open your heart a little bit. I know that sounds kind of cheesy and it's harder to do than than the way I'm saying, but it's important to do because we we're all we're all in this together. And then even like with Hawk, you mentioned the Kimalu. And I grew up playing hockey, and he was a year older than me, but we crossed paths on the ice a couple of times. And growing up, I never witnessed any racism in hockey. But mind you, the percentage of, of black people that play hockey at a high level is very small. Yeah. And you hear him tell his story, and you would think, just based on an outsider perspective, like, again, oh, he's just doing it for attention. It's like, no, this actually happened. You hear people like P.K. Subban speak up. You hear people like the Bander King. We had Mark Frazier on our podcast three months ago talking about it. And you see, like, direct change came from that. The Hockey Diversity Alliance was built. And, again, yeah. it's it's a shame that the Hawk, you know, let's say hockey didn't make a big of a stand as the NBA or MLB or, or NFL. But, you know, they're learning as well. And today, they, like you said, they had the big press conference this morning. And so they're they're learning. They're making changes. People are speaking up. And that's what it's all about, right? It's, it's one thing to listen and ignore, and that's wrong. But if you can listen – educate yourself and make change that's what it's about learning educating and if everybody would just listen to what's happening and educate themselves i feel like the world would be in a much better spot right now but uh, like it's it's disappointing to know that certain humans and, and certain people are still stuck in a different century so agreed I, and i i'm actually as you say that it makes me think of uh flyers coach alain vignon who is has the privilege not to pay attention to things that don't happen to him, but things that happen to others, they have they have to pay. I mean, they have, they have no choice. And he was like, "I'm not paying attention to what's happening outside of the bubble." Like that is just that just it's actually infuriating, and it's 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 gross. Like if your wife, Alan, you know you know your wife texts you, right? You like you you are gonna respond to her when she texts you. You have a phone, you have the access to info, but you're being willfully ignorant to what's going on in the other sports. And that's just unacceptable. You know that if in Quebec City they were shooting unarmed white kids, you would be he would be paying attention. So because it doesn't, it these things aren't happening to him or people that look like him. That's where the empathy comes from. He's just like, ah, he just has that privilege to not pay attention, and that's just unacceptable. As someone who's the face of their franchise and someone who's part of the leadership structure of that franchise, being a head coach, unacceptable. And specifically, Philly and everything that happened with Wayne Simmons back in, 
I want to say the the early 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah, in that exhibition game in London. London, yeah, exactly what I was going to talk about. Like Wayne Simmons is arguably one of the best block hockey players in the NHL. You know, and he's had a great career. He's been there for about 10 years or so now. Yeah. And to hear that, like, that happen, you're like, what world do we live in? You know, like, this is an NHL player, one of the best in the world at what he does. And you're going to treat, not like, you're going to treat a human like that. Never mind an athlete who's prepared their whole lives for this. You're going to treat another human like that. Like, and well, remember, like, fans, yeah. fans just see athletes as, like, either data points on their fantasy team. Like, how are you helping my, fa- my what, like, my selfish interest? And then a lot of times there's so much jealousy because these these guys are um, at the top one percent in their field, and they can command uh, make a certain living because they're the best. Like, be better at what you do, fan. Like, be more valuable to your company, and then maybe you can get a, a a similar salary. But like, there's just so much hate on these public figures, then that's how it manifests. Unfortunately, in that ugly despicable incident where some fan throws a banana on the ice at the John Molson Center or Molson Arena, whatever it's called in London. It was just another uh, appalling incident. But it's part of the it's part of the history of hockey. I mean, Joel Ward scores a scores a goal in game seven with the Capitals against the Bruins. Oh, Twitter was a sewer of the N-word. Like it was literally typed thousands because a black hockey player scored a goal against your team like less than 10 years ago. And uh, it's part of the world that we live in, man. Yeah. And we had, Mar- like Georgie said, we had Mark Frazier on and he told some stories that you just can't imagine like being in that position. And that's the, the point that we want, like when we bring people on and we have these conversations, because growing up a, a privileged white kid, you don't, I never faced any of that. I played hockey my entire life. I've never witnessed racism firsthand, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything about it because if people of privilege or people of just who aren't, who don't face racism choose to ignore it, that's the problem, right? It's, it's not that, oh, you know, because it doesn't affect me in my everyday life that I can just choose to sit back and ignore it. It's like, no, yeah. We need to use ignorance is not, I think there's a term like ignorance is not a defense. It's like, it's, I think it's like, even in the legal world, like you can't just claim ignorance you didn't know. And I mean, just because you say, I don't know what's going on out there, like to the point about Alan Vigneault, like doesn't mean it's not happening. That's not, that's not helping at all. I, I agree. And, and uh, you, you raise a good point just because you haven't experienced racism doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And that's a, that's an important thing to acknowledge in an important mindset. I, I, I applaud you both. I'm I, I wanted to jump to the because again you made the point and I saw actually one of your tweets uh, talking about that you commend the, the players for going back and you know not ending using the bubble and the platform in the season um, to continue and have and, and you know use that platform and leverage it. What are your thoughts? Do you think that the season, like number one, I guess we'll we'll finish like is going to end? Is going to continue? Or do you think that this with the tensions is there a risk that it might, you know? No, I, I believe it's going to resume. I think I saw on uh, Twitter today, Woj Adrian. Wardnerowski, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I met him once and I totally butchered it because <laughs> I didn't expect to see him and I respect him so much. He's the best insider in sports, period. There's Woj, there's Shams, and then there's Schefter and then everybody else after that. Maybe Jeff Passan in baseball and Bob McKenzie in hockey, but Woj is at the top of the, he's on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Um, but he tr- he tweeted that the players want the season to resume. So it looks like it will be Saturday and um, the season might have to be extended one extra week. It was supposed to end October 12th. It might go to the 19th. 
but we'll we'll see at this point. Uh, I'm happy it's resuming, and I know that those guys with that platform they they can have a further reach. But again, in the in the behind the scenes, some work has to be done with people who who wield a lot of power. Yeah, for sure. Just even to, just a pivot one question as a fan, who do you think who do you think's gonna take it this year? Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Let's get to some happier stuff. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm on the I'm on the Pals podcast, and I want to make sure that we're you know we we can balance both serious and light. Yeah, of course. Uh, okay, so I I you know I I, I work for Bleach Report in, in Las Vegas, and uh, I'm becoming a bit of a, a gambler, but I'm emotionally attached to the Toronto Raptors, obviously because it's my hometown. So I'm not going to bet against the Toronto Raptors. In fact, I'm going to double down on the uh, the Toronto Raptors. I think their biggest threat is the Miami Heat, who uh, they will like, or they're, I, I feel like Milwaukee is a little bit unstable. So if the Heat upset Milwaukee and the Raptors handle business with the Celtics, that's going to be a great but great series. But the Celtics, huge test, because Celtics are very, very talented, and Jason Tatum's stock is rising. Uh, on the other side, I've been flirting with this idea of the Houston Rockets because they are volume shooters from three-point range. And there's like a team of six, seven dudes, like literally six foot seven dudes, like nine of them. And they can shoot, they can, you know, they can shoot three-pointers, not all that efficiently, but James Harden is the most unguardable player in the league. Like he is, you know, his style isn't aesthetically pleasing, but he's going to give you 36 points a night, probably eight assists and eight rebounds. Um, So like Houston would be my dark horse. Uh, but in all, but I'm I'm a uh, a card carrying member of the of We the North, so my heart's with the Toronto Raptors. The thing with Houston is they've got to go through L- the Lakers at some point, most likely. Yeah, in the next round, if they if they eliminate uh, AD the Thunder, then yeah, they're gonna play the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, they have no big men. It's like, how do you guard someone like AD? Like that's gonna that's gonna be PJ Tucker's job, and <laughs> PJ Tucker is six four and a half. And AD is like seven one. It's not going to be easy, but that's going to be the job. So that's why when they traded uh, Capella away, I was like, "What?" Like he wasn't even that big, but that was their big man. And I'm like, "Okay, they're going." Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Listen, it's working for them right now. Yeah, and and uh, Daryl Morey, the GM of the Rockets, made a business business decision. He's like, "You can trade Capella to the Hawks." I got Russ. I traded away Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. We are all our chips are in the middle of the table, and we're gonna see if this thing goes. Now, Russell James, Eric Gordon have long contracts and at a pretty high clip, but I think for Daryl Moore, he's like, listen, we've tried all these other things. We're gonna see if this works. And when Russell Westbrook comes back, he's got an injured quad. And if he returns to play with that Mamba DNA, then Anything's possible, man. Because as much as like there's no one to gate, there's no one to guard Anthony Davis, and really there's no one to guard LeBron James. Like who can guard James Harden and who can guard Russell Westbrook if he's cooking? So yeah. we'll you, you know what's interesting though. Speaking of Daryl Morey, like I think that guy's. It seems like at least he's pivoted his mindset and strategy. Like every year for the past, I don't know how many years. Like he tried. You know, again, he had, the, he had Clint Capella. He pivoted. You know, Chris Paul comes up with him. And he brings in Russ. And, like, he has changed his style so many times. And I guess he's kind of like the money ball, if you will. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But it's interesting. Like, do you, like if this doesn't work, does he pivot again next yeah. year? And does he dump Russ again? Or do you think he's committed, like, with this strategy? 
Oh, good question. Um, yeah, him and Sam Hinkie, who was the Sixers GM, they really embraced analytics. And Sam Hinkie had, I think Pablo Torre coined the phrase, trust the process. Um, but yeah, after, like Mike D'Antoni's contract is not, like, uh, it's not guaranteed past this year. It's, it hasn't been renewed. So he's likely out. And like, if they don't go to the finals, because they made it to the conference finals, I think two years ago, and they got beat by the Golden State Warriors. They had that meltdown in game seven, missed 27 uh, three-point shots in a row. Um, and D'Antoni will likely be, you know, he might go to Indiana or maybe Brooklyn. Who knows? But it's it feels like this is the last straw for Daryl Morey. Like, this is the last-ditch attempt because those other machinations of his rosters have not worked, have not gotten him them to the finals. So it's 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 I love the theater of the NBA, man. It's just like it's it's the I love the pettiness. I love the players and the personas. I love the tunnel walks. I'm looking at some of these outfits. I'm like, you're gonna spend twelve hundred dollars on a friggin' t-shirt or like a pair of Amiri jeans, you know, and then I'm looking, you know, like PJ Tucker's got 91 pairs of kicks in the bubble. Like that is excess. It's American excess. Yeah. <laughs> and, and selfishly, I wish I was a size 14. So I could be like, yo, PJ, you got to send me some of those kicks. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I just, I just love the theater that it creates and it's, it's such a fun league. Well, I was gonna say, to, the, to that point, I think it's like probably the only league now, if not the number one league that controls the narrative and the storyline and the news cycle like 12 months of the year. And it's interesting now what's going on because obviously like things have been pushed, no summer league. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming months. But like, you got to commend the NBA. Mark Silver, again, who's, you know, even though he's only been the commish for the last, what, five or six years? Like, Adam he was Silver, I think, uh, I want to say like 12 or 13. Okay, like less than a decade. Yeah. Even Sorry, behind, yeah. But even then he was behind the scenes. Like he was still probably pulling a lot of strings. Like he's kind of, you hear a lot of stuff about how it's become a player's league, how he's advocated for a lot of the stuff. Like, he was, you know, pulling a lot of streams behind the scenes as well. And you got to commend them, man. Like, they honestly, they're never not in the news. And like, to your point, the, whether it's a pettiness storyline, whether it's someone on NBA Twitter chirping at somebody, whether it's yeah. Embiid running in the summer through, like, Philly trying to get in shape. Meanwhile, he still comes in overweight. <laughs> like, you got to give that leap. I honestly, you know, maybe the NFL still is the biggest, per se, but I think the NBA is, like, is headed for number one globally, maybe behind soccer. But, yeah. It's, yeah. Think, go ahead, sorry. Ricky. Go ahead. The reason why is that they let their players like interact with the fans like no other league. You know, I feel like after every game, you're you're seeing some basketball player tweeting, Instagramming, handing out shoes. Yeah, there's always something happening. Like you think about how many times they're high fiving and giving away jerseys, yeah, shoes. They're always doing something. Meanwhile, it's like you you think about MLB. I don't even think they're allowed to have like phones with them at all during it. Like you don't. MLB used to be like the big sport, right? You think about MLB is they play 162 games a year. It's literally half the year. And it's like almost no kid, no, sorry, no, that's wrong. Not no kid wants to grow up and be a professional baseball player, but you it's, think about, dying, a, it's a dying sport almost. It's such a long game. It's kind of run out where it's like basketball. Every legit 30 seconds, something happens. Brick, slam dunk, alley, three-pointer, like always something happening. And then after the game, okay, shoes are being given out. Jerseys, like they start doing jersey swaps. Like you got LeBron's chalk at the beginning of every game. So there's always something yeah. happening. It's the best league, hands down. I, I, and like, uh, you know, I, I do credit Adam Silver like you do too. But I also credit David Stern, who was the, uh, I think he was became the NBA commissioner in like 1984. And he realized how stars drive products. And like the entertainment, sh or the NBA should be considered, thought of as an entertainment product. 
And in the 80s, you had Magic Johnson in LA, you had Larry Bird in Boston, you had, you know, both coasts riveted because you had these two superstars. And then Michael takes the lead to like the 17th level. And he becomes the most famous athlete in the world, along with Mike Tyson and Michael Jordan is a brand like Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson, like Michael Jordan, you know what I mean? And, um, but the, the NBA really embraces its stars and lets its stars be their authentic selves. Whereas, and also it helps that it's a helmetless league. So you can see the players faces, you know, everybody loves Steph Curry cause he's six, three great family, man. He's got cute kids. He's an unbelievable talent. I mean, LeBron is just like, LeBron's less relatable because LeBron's like six, eight and just like a uh, physical specimen, um, you know. You, you know, people love the tenacity of of beat of Kobe, um, but then like, and then there's like Kevin Durant, who's like a vulnerable dude. He's a superstar, but like still has a burner account and still will clap back on Twitter because people are in his mentions, blowing him up, calling him a snake, and all that kind of stuff. But he's a human being, so yeah. you get like, you get some guys with a huge. Uh, with a lot of armor and then you get guys who are not afraid to be vulnerable or not afraid to be a little bit in left field like Kyrie Irving who seems to be in in his own orbit with what he <laughs> says and the way he, he goes about things so it's it it, it that league embraces it yeah. embraces its stars well you mentioned some big names there Mike Tyson Michael Jordan Colby I know you've interviewed all of them out of all the people you've interviewed who was who's your favorite um well, I, I, I had incredible moments with each of them, like for different reasons. So they're all like on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, Mike Tyson put Vaseline on my face when I was at his home. And that was incredible because I was both, he's like so thoughtful and then he was playful. Uh, and then I feared him just looking in his eyes because like not I could feel how people would be intimidated. And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't have any physical fear, but I could feel it. Like if that dude, like if I said something flagrant, I could have been, I could have been at the bottom of his pool, not breathing, you know? And then Michael Jordan, I got to hug uncomfortably for longer than any human, not his child or his wife, like, or a teammate, like, you know, full face on his chest, hearing his heartbeat. He could feel the, the heat of my face on his body. And then Bean elevated me more than any other athlete. And um, it was uh, like, it was an incredible experience, an incredible blessing that he chose me as the person that he was gonna let his guard down with. And it's like, okay, I'll have fun with this guy. He's chubby, he's a little bit weird. He's asking to stay at my house, he's Canadian. All right, <laughs> this will be the guy that I'm gonna have some fun with and show my personality. So I was like super blessed to have those moments with all three of those legends. Do you, do you think, like, to that point you just made with Kobe, do you think, as like, listen, we grew up watching Tabby on the street. Like, we we remember on the score back in the day when that was blowing up, like, come Thank on, you. throw it on. Do you think, to, to the point with Kobe, you know, the rest of the piece feels like it's been forever ago now, but do you think that it's partly because of the guy he is and he's, like, he embraced you from that? Or do you think it's also partly your style? Because your style back in the day, like even now, is like it was a little disarming too. Because it wasn't like, okay, tell me about your career. Tell me about this. Like you're like hugging dudes, you're buying them pajamas. Like, thank you, thank you. Uh, I think it was, it was timing was big, and also my style. <clears throat> I wore baseball caps and t-shirts and sneakers. I didn't look like a regular member of the media. 
you know, with like a golf shirt and terrible New Balance sneakers or those ugly Nike Monarch yeah. dad, chunky dad shoes that you can get at Walmart in the bin for 30 bucks. Um, you know, when I was a kid, like I always wanted Nikes, but then I would get Lynx. That's like the equivalent in, or Brooks. That's the equivalent. Like these guys are still, anyway. So I didn't, I didn't look or sound or, or ask similar questions to those guys. So timing for sure. And then my style definitely, uh, uh, played a factor and, you know, just, uh, and I was just very fortunate, man, because I'm an oddball. And like, I would, how, how would you react if someone's like, Hey, can I stay at your house? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, this is not part of the protocol. This is not what we agreed to in this exchange of question answer. But then I, I, you know, I made a left turn and then I tried to, like, I tried to make a whole career about living out here in left field and doing, a, setting up a tent and, you know, roasting marshmallows in the outfield and desecrating that theater, that cathedral. And, uh, and it served me well. Well, and if, th if this is too personal, feel free not to, not to answer, but when you heard the news, what was that like for you? Cause you obviously. Devastating. Devastating. Like everybody, shock and devastation, man. I. Uh, you know, one of my boys, one, uh, from Sportsnet called me and then, uh, he's like, check Twitter. I'm like, what? Or it's like, okay. And then I did. And then I spoke to my producer, Dave, I called my girl, um, you know, and then it's just, I kept refreshing, like everybody, like refreshing the news on TMZ and just refreshing Twitter. Like, is this real? Like I need more confirmation. But once, once I saw it, uh, you know, the accident on TMZ, I was like, oh, this is for real. And, uh, I learned that like on the plane, like the. Lakers played in Philadelphia where Kobe grew up for part of his adolescence. And then on the plane is when they found out before they landed in LA and they found out an hour before TMZ did. And then it was just like absolute shock. And I was fortunate enough to go to, to attend his memorial in Staples Center. And it was the most incredible celebration of life that I've ever experienced. I hope I don't have to experience any more of those because it was really emotional. Uh, but it was incredible, man. And one thing that I really loved is that there were, at the beginning, there were a couple of phones, people recording, and then the phones just went away. So like the 20,000 people shared this moment without feeling the need to document it, to show people for clout or for clicks. Like, no, we are here for this, to celebrate this one person's life. And we don't need to tell the world that we're here. We're fortunate to be here in a weird way. I shouldn't say fortunate, but we're here because this person's life meant so much to us. So let's just all be present and enjoy this celebration. It was incredible, man. I saw like Beyonce perform, Christina Aguilera perform, Alicia Keys perform. I saw Michael Jordan cry in real life and Shaq was hilarious. And you know, I like all the luminaries of, of like basketball royalty were there and it was, it was, it was powerful, man. It was, it was awesome. What? I mean, I can't even can't even imagine what it's like to be there. And it's, it honestly is crazy to think that everything that's happened in 2020, like that happened so early on. And like we're in August and it feels like, again, like it's been. Yeah, I agree with you, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, 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 one, one big one that we wanted to ask is, do you, and that again, don't know if you can share this. Is there a Kobe story that, that was really memorable to you, whether it was on one of your segments, whether it was something off air that people don't know about? Like, is there one that really resonated with you? Uh... Yeah, there's, um, well, one time, uh, yeah, we, we would have to, like, maybe one time at Marble, 
when we're having drinks with Peter Gurgis, I'll tell you like, like a different story, but like, there, there's a, I want to say it was like 2015 or something. I pitched Kobe a couple of ideas and he didn't like them. And he said, he goes, write some Dave Chappelle show shit, man. I was like, Dave Chappelle? You want me to write Dave Chappelle show shit? I was like, I'm, I'm a fat reporter from Toronto, man. I'm, I'm not a comedic genius. Like Dave Chappelle is like oh. one of the, he's a, he, he's inducted, I think at the, like the Kennedy, he got Kennedy Center honors. Like he's one of the most prolific writers of his generation in comedy and in, and in, uh, you know, pop culture. But he like Kobe's thing. And you hear these anecdotes all the time. It's like, he really pushed people to be better or pushed people to be a better version of themselves. And that's part of that whole Mamba mentality where he kind of created his own mystique, but we believe in it because it's so universal. Everybody, the, the universal theme of working hard can span across borders, regardless of what language you speak or what religion you recognize, like hard work is, is universal. So when he said that to me, I, I did like, okay. So I was like, all right, let me go in my lab and come up with new ideas and I wrote some and I, he's like, mm. so then like the next year, you know, I pitched this idea for like the reunion of the 1996 NBA draft. There's like this iconic slam cover where there's like 12 players on the cover. Steve Nash is on Ray Allen, Iverson, Kobe, uh, who else is on that cover? Um, Marcus Camby. Uh, I was like, yeah, we should do a reunion at the 2016 NBA. He's like, I don't want to do that yet. I was like, okay. Another one was um, an, like an AA meeting for retired superheroes. So then I, like I wrote a part for Nash and then Kobe would, I would be leading the session and then just have like guys just speaking about their vulnerabilities. Like here are these superheroes. And then we just hire some actors to be like a Batman and a Spider-Man and then there's Kobe and then there's Nash and whatever get up we we're gonna. And he's like, nah. And then the one that he liked was, um, and my, I got to credit my friend Nigel Downer for um, sparking this idea. We were playing squash one day, and he's like, "What if, um, what if Kobe didn't go to the NBA right away?" I was like, "Ooh, yeah, there's something there." Like he said, he was gonna go to Duke. Like that's the school he would have chosen. And then Nigel's like, "What if you guys were roommates at Duke?" I'm like, "That is amazing." And then what? So then, so then I was like. Thank you so much. I went, wrote it. I wrote like five drafts before I sent it to Molly Carter, who runs Kobe's company. And <laughs> so sorry, I pitched it to Kobe first. And then I just showed him like two beds, like this generic uh, dorm room, the Duke carpet, you know, and like pitched, he goes, this is funny because I would, I would mother bleep and kill you if we were actually roommates. I'm like, so should I write this one? He goes, okay, write that one. I was like, okay, nice. Wrote it, sent it to Molly. She's like, you got to change the ending. I'm like, oh, the ending involved, like at the end, we're hiding under the beds. There's like girls in the closet. You know, we're 18 year old kids at college. Like, and then there's a whole thing about edibles. And she's like, you got to, so I rewrote the, I rewrote the ending like multiple times. And then it was just like ghost. Like I didn't hear anything back. So Cope oh. just got too involved in his own projects and he was writing himself. He wrote a children's series, Wizard Art series. He started a venture fund for like a hundred million Compo uh, you know, he wrote Dear Basketball. So he had all these other, and then he was super present in the lives of his girls, both Natalia, who was playing uh, volleyball, then Gigi, who was playing basketball. And I love like his transition. He's like, I've been in the spotlight my whole career. Now it's time to move Gigi into the spotlight. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna remove, I'm gonna slide into the shadows 
So like the focus is on my daughter. And also I love how he was elevating other other stars in the NBA and and like he was a huge advocate for women's sports soccer as well and he had close relationships with Sydney LaRue and Sabrina Ionescu from Oregon who now plays for the Liberty with Kia Nurse and wearing the WNBA like uh, hoodie like you don't see that in other sports like there aren't hockey players repping you never I've never seen a hockey player wear a Haley Wickenheiser jersey and she is our most famous She's in the Canada Sports Hall of Fame. Or you don't see, I mean, there's no baseball equivalent. I suppose softball, but there, and there's no NFL equivalent, but you just don't see it like you do in basketball. It's really like a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And they, they really prop each other up. And I, I think that that advocacy and that like, um, that brotherhood for lack of a better word is, is, is tremendous. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there any chance we can get a sneak peek of that, uh, the script you wrote? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, we had cameos. So we wrote, I wrote a cameo for Steve Nash and I wrote a cameo for Paul Gasol. And I never actually got to, did I tell Steve? We, Steve and I did a, an event for, in Toronto for like Boston Pizza. And I recalled one of the most embarrassing moments of my career, which is when I was interviewing Steve, I was chewing gum and the gum fell out of my mouth and into his lap, like landing right uh, in... Uh. <laughs> the danger zone. And uh, this is at the all-star game. And there's a bunch of people in the locker room just watching me because I'm super obnoxious. I'm loud. I'm animated. And then now there is a piece of like <laughs> pink gum right in the center of his red basketball shorts. And I'm wearing this cowboy hat. I'm just making a total mockery. And I'm like trying to knock it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, re I'm telling Steve Nash this story while we're on stage at this event. But when we were backstage, I don't know if I, if I told him about the cameo that I wanted him. Cause I guess, cause had Kobe agreed, okay, yes, let's shoot it. Let's find a day. Then I reached out to Steve, like, Steve, I need you to be the resident assistant, like the RA, or I need you to be like a teammate on the team, like just to, and we had a Coach K, and we reached out to Coach K, and Coach K was like on the, like we reached out before Kobe agreed. Coach K was a bit of on the fence, but at least that we made contact, and we just needed him to record a few lines on his in his desk, feet up on the, you know, feet up on the desk on the phone. Um, I can't remember any specific dialogue, but uh, it started with us playing like NBA Jam or something from the nineties. Oh yeah. Uh, to some one of my friends as a I think it was I think it was NBA Jam. That would have that would have made sense for the time period of uh, 1996 when he would have been a freshman at Duke. That would have been awesome, man. Thanks, man. I was just say yeah. Before we wrap, we're gonna start wrap up. I wanted to just ask. So obviously we didn't get a chance to speak too much about betting and Bleach Report and what you're doing now. But why don't you? Uh, I guess for the people listening that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? No problem. So um, we have this show called Group Chat where it's very much like. We try to make it as authentic as possible. And it's like five friends who are betting junkies and the audience that we that we cater to are also betters, whether guys are out there trying to hit eight team or 10 team parlays, or some people are just trying to make single bets, but it's, we use, you know, betting lingo and we all play sort of different, different versions of ourselves. So I'm a novice better. I don't really, I don't bet every day. I don't need that action. But then we have like my co-host Kelly Stewart, who is a like diehard, like she is a what would you would call a sharp, because um, she's so dialed. She has so much information and she wagers a lot on games and not 
not just the number of games, but like the price point. Like, <laughs> she, yeah. So, uh, uh, and then there, we have a couple of degenerates on the crew. So, so group chat is on the Bleach Report app. Um, we generally record on Wednesdays, and it's live in the app, and I think it's also live on Twitter. But the, I believe the next one we're gonna do is either Monday or Tuesday. So, just if you if you have the Bleach Report app, you'll see it, or if you follow like the BR betting like the Instagram or Twitter account, you'll find it there. Uh, and um, yeah, that's like the current thing that we're doing because our, we had a, we were working on a game show and there are no sports game shows. And we were, we, you know, we did multiple versions of well, multiple episodes while we were at Caesar's palace. But since uh, the coronavirus, that is, that's on pause. So we'll see we'll be, when we'll be able to launch that again. Cause I need, you need to interact with people, have some, have some stakes in the game, be able to win some money. We had this huge, built this like shredder where they would like shred like signed sneakers and you know, it was called win or destroy. So um, hopefully that can return in some capacity because it was it was a lot of fun working on that show. Actually funny you mentioned that, that's what I wanted to ask. So I think I actually did bump into you at Caesars Palace the weekend of the Tyson Fury fight. I don't know if you was, I, I think- oh, Okay. Brad Johnson- but Wait, the first one or the second one? In Fury versus Wilder in, in February. I think okay. Sunday, I was watching football with a buddy of mine, or it was a Saturday, no, it was a Sunday after the fight. We're sitting there watching football, putting some bets in, and we walk around as we're making the bet, and I think I saw you, and I, I don't know for sure, but that's how Chad Johnson sitting right in front, just smoking his cigar, hanging out. I, I, I wanted to come by and say hi, but I was like, oh, I saw Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. We lost, we both lost a lot of money on, on uh, Deontay Wilder that night. So. Same. Oh, man. It was... What's that? I took Wilder in that fight too. I lost. Did you? Game. Yeah, I think I lost. Yeah, I don't want to say because my wife is here, but I, I lost a few. <laughs> oh um, man, it's well, too funny. Well, caveat: there's a lot more we want to talk about, but we know we're we're kind of at that that time. But next time you're in Toronto, we definitely got to get you on. Or next time we're in Vegas, we got to do a live episode because I love that. Yes, let's do. Let's let's lock it in at some point for sure. Is is amazing and, and yeah. we love it but uh, again we want to thank you for coming on we've got uh, two questions we actually always ask every single guest okay wonderful i'll hit you with the first one if there was a movie about your life who would you want to star as you it could be anybody from any given point in time yeah um it would be um thank you great question it would be um uh, uh keenan thompson from saturday night live he's like kind of the the chubbier <laughs> Yeah. The chubbier dude, yeah. Keenan Thompson would play me, and he would be an incredible. Like, and he's like, he's thirty-seven times more talented, so it would be a real honor to have him play me in the movie. Of my life. Oh, that's a good that's one. That's a good one. He's he does. Oh man, he's some great impersonation. His Barkley impersonation is. is oh, he's so good. He's so talented. I love that dude. The last one. Uh, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Oh wow, <laughs> a younger me. Oh my gosh. Um. Oh, what would I? Oh boy, um, that's a tough one because I, I, I rare. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Uh, Good job, Georgie. <laughs> Stumped him. <laughs> oh, well done. Um, I made a lot of mistakes, man. Um, I maybe I would say to uh, I would tell myself to take better care of your relationships, both with uh, like 
romantic or like with athletes? And I guess for work, as is more of a, a work question, I yeah, I made some mistakes that I regret as far as like not being more careful or not or or being I don't know if careful is the right word, but I definitely messed up some relationships which I regret. So that I would I would tell myself to just be more careful, be more mindful or just like be more aware of how things could could uh, fall apart. So that's what I would uh, that's what I'd tell myself. Some okay. sound advice. Some sound advice. Yes, yeah. yeah. Cabby, again, we appreciate it. And if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where should they go? How can they find you? Uh, thank you for asking. Just uh, on Twitter, I'm the real Cabby, and on Instagram, just at, or sorry, on Twitter it's at Cabby, and on Instagram it's the real Cabby. And most of my contents there, and most of the fun projects that I'm involved in, you can you can find them there. So um, definitely, we'll tag everything in the uh, in the episode. Uh, but again, you've been an awesome guest. We really appreciate it. Next time you're in the city, we'll we'll have some drinks. We got to hear some more some more yeah, stories. Yeah. Well, I wanted to even ask you about the podcast that you had because I used to listen, but uh, I, I guess you stopped a little while ago. I did, yeah. When, once I made the, once I left TSN, then the podcast came to a, an end. But I appreciate being on this one, and I look forward to when we can record a, a live one. Awesome, appreciate man. it. We would thank you a lot for the time. Really appreciate yeah. it, Cabby. You got it, fellas. You got it. All right, sign off. Cheers, guys. Okay, cheers. See ya. Okay, thanks, fellas. That was great. I really appreciate it. All yeah, right, guys. cheers. You like to drink and to smoke to take away the pain And I don't remember all of my mistakes And every high got alone, no one thing You're not alright